the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, and welcome to the CU at the Game podcast. My name is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor of the CU at the Game website, and I'd like to welcome you to the second ever of what I hope will become a long string of Buff-related podcasts. This episode contains my interview with CU Athletic Director Rick George. At the outset, I need to explain and apologize for the tardiness of this release. I'm still learning the mechanics of podcasting, and so there's been a time lag between my interview with Rick and this posting. My interview with Rick took place on Tuesday, February 4th. The timing is significant, not only because it took place before March Madness and the rest of the sporting world was shut down, but also because it took place three short days before the Detroit Free Press article broke, reporting that Mel Tucker was a candidate for the head coaching job at Michigan State. As a result, we did not talk about Carl Durrell or the coronavirus outbreak, but there is still plenty of relevant content. Without knowing what was about to happen, we did discuss CU losing coaches to other Power 5 conference schools with more resources. In the weeks leading up to our interview, then CU offensive line coach Chris Kapilovic was offered jobs by Auburn and Missouri, but turned them down to stay in Boulder. I asked Rick about not being able to compete with other schools for coaches, not knowing what was about to take place in the days to come. You'll want to hear what Rick had to say about this very relevant topic to CU fans. We also talked about Rick's involvement in national committees, like the College Football Playoff Selection Committee he will be serving on for the next three seasons, along with the NCAA working group studying the name, image, and likeness issue. I gave Rick a hypothetical about schools abusing this in the future, using Nebraska, of course, as an example. And this was, ironically enough, just a few weeks before the Nebraska State Legislature passed a law seeking to help Nebraska athletes to make money from endorsements. You just had to know that Nebraska would be at the leading edge of schools trying to take advantage of this. As was the case with the first episode, I will, po- I will post a podcast companion banner on the Sue at the Game website with links to stories and other information related to, day- to today's interview. Oh, and if you stick around after listening to the interview, at the end of this podcast, I'll tell you the story about how Rick and I first met on his fourth day on the job back in 2013. If you're interested, you'll learn why Rick, to this day, introduces me to others as the guy who wrote the letter. Enough of my voice. Here's my interview with CU Athletic Director Rick George. It's a beautiful snowy Tuesday and that's all good. Yes. Well, thank you for for taking the time. Very much appreciated. Certainly. Yes. 
I guess the first thing I'd like to talk about would be the, your most recent uh, appointment, the 13-member College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Uh, yep. As a lifelong football fan, I, you know, I'd probably see that as both exciting and a little bit daunting at the same time. You know, uh, yes. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot of work, um, and I knew that going in, but I think it's a privilege and uh, to be able to serve in that role. And, you know, I've said this many times that football has propelled my career from when I was a student athlete at the University of Illinois. And, you know, being able to be in a role now that like being on the college football playoff committee is is really nice and something I'm proud of. Have you been given any guidance as far as, I mean, the committee doesn't, you know, put out the first rankings until mid-October. Have you got any marching orders as far as what to do in September or how to watch games? Are you going to get a bunch of data from the NCAA? Are you left to your own devices? Well, it, no. At, th at this point, my first meeting will be April 1st and 2nd, and it'll be more of an orientation meeting on, you know, the, do the ins and outs of, of being on uh, the selection committee, so I'll know a lot more then. I just know that at some point in October, we'll start uh, meeting Mondays and Tuesdays throughout uh, the course of the season, and you know we'll have discussion and we'll be watching a lot of film in the process. So uh, again, I'll learn more April 1st and 2nd when we have those meetings. Okay. Will those be conference calls? I mean, I think it'd be hard to get everybody in the same room for a month. No, no, no. We'll be in, they'll be in-person meetings. Okay. Very good. So you'll have lots of opportunities to get to know each other very well over that. Yes, we will. Yes. Well, here's hoping that uh, sometime over the course of the next three years, you'll get to excuse yourself uh, while the rest of the committee members discuss the University of Colorado's rankings. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay. I also like to really talk a lot a little bit about the 18-member uh, working group that you're on. I think it's the Federal and State Legislation Working Group. Is that, yes, the, sir. that the official title? Yeah, uh, that's, that's the official title. Okay. Yeah, I was appointed on that committee, gosh, last summer, I guess. And, you know, we've kind of expanded, you know, uh, that role. We were going to be complete by uh, October, but uh, we extended that until April. And, and uh, you know, we've had a lot of in-person meetings. We've had a lot of phone meetings. We've uh, gotten a lot of feedback uh, from a variety of, of different constituents. And, you know, we're in process of, you know, the educational piece and then getting that feedback so we can put our final recommendations uh, in place later this spring. Yeah, it seems like the timetables are being moved up. That was originally January of next year, and now it's April meetings is more likely to be. Uh... No, I, th that hasn't been moved up. That's kind of been our our plan all along. Okay. I think there's, you know, the the what we would what our recommendations would be is we would make recommendations to the board of governors. They would approve or not approve of our recommendations. At that point. Then the conferences start uh, begin discussion on legislation legislation that they believe works, and that legislation would go through the different meetings we have in the fall with the NCAA with a vote uh, probably a year from now at next year's NCAA convention. And you think that that's a timetable? I think uh, I saw one 
Uh, Sports Illustrated, Pat Forty compared it to turning a battleship in a bathtub. As <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, the NCAA is a big organization, and uh, you know, you've got three different divisions. You've got Division One, Two, and Three, and uh, they all have different needs, and so there it does take some time because you want to, if you're going to do this, you want all of the divisions to uh, participate, and and that includes. Uh, a lot of student athletes and a lot of conferences and schools around the country. So it does take some time. Well, I think, you know, I mean, everyone will agree that we don't want 50 different pieces of legislation, but uh, that's correct. Colorado, uh, there's an article recently you were, you were commenting as far as a, a bill that's being introduced in the state legislature in the state of Colorado that you believe you could support or that you're going to testify in favor of. Well, look, I mean, I've said all along that I think students, student athletes should be able to benefit, benefit from their name, image, and likeness just like a student should. Uh, and so I'm very supportive of that. I think what we've done over the last five to 10 years for student athletes from nutrition to uh, mental health to, you know, cost of attendance, all these different things, you know, we're constantly working to make college athletics better. And this is a, a, an obvious, timely thing that we need to address. There was a statement from your group, I believe it was from the governor's meeting in, in Anaheim. One sentence that stood out to me, we are especially concerned about abuses and potentially harmful influences with respect to recruiting a practice unique to college sports. Do you think that the state legislatures across the country and congressional people and other Players' rights groups, are are they understanding the uniqueness of what you've got to deal with? Well, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, that would be a better question for them. But what I will tell you, is, uh, sitting on this committee and being involved in this, it's very complicated. There's a lot of nuances around everything that you discuss. And so the NCAA broke. Uh, you know, created three more subgroups. One is a group licensing, one's individual licensing, and the other is a student-athlete work group. And, and and all those groups are working to put our best foot forward to make sure that we look at all the different issues around name, image, and likeness. And so, uh, again, we've got multiple calls uh, between now and April and, and in-person meetings, and uh, there, there's a lot to, to to grasp. It's not as simple as some may think. Well, I I definitely agree with that. I mean, I guess, you know, my concern just as a, a fan is to you know, the different levels of fanaticism that there are out there and how those might be exploited or might be monetized. You know, I mean, I don't think anybody would, certainly any CU fan would begrudge Jeremy Bloom being able to make money as a skier or have, you know, a player that writes a book or even participates in a summer camp. Can I run a, you know, just a hypothetical by you um, that just kind of sure. spinning around in my head. Let's say it's January of 2023 and yep. um, for whatever, you know, some national policy has gone into place. We don't have fractionalized California laws and Texas laws. We were able to come up with some national standard for name, image, and likeness. Mm -hmm. And we've got a, a player, an early enrollee at the University of Colorado, he gets to his dorm, he checks in, some classmates, teammates help him move in, he goes and has a pasta dinner at his 
unit coach's house and the posts on social media. This is my CU family. Love being a buff. Not too much different than probably what's, you know, happening now. You know, that that's right. the thing that you get when somebody in early enrollee checks in, sews up. Now, and I'm going to use Nebraska because, well, fans use Nebraska. Same January 2023, early enrollee gets to his dorm and there's a note on the door saying, please go to Steve's Sporting Goods at four o'clock. He gets there and he finds that a local printer in exchange for having his name and logo at the bottom of the page has put together a poster of all the incoming freshmen. And there's a line out the door of Nebraska fanatics that are willing to pay $10 for a poster and $10 for an autograph and another $10 for a picture. And this recruit goes back to his dorm room, posts on social media, says, hey, I haven't even had a practice yet. I haven't had my first class. and I've already made $1,500 as a Cornhusker. How is Mel Tucker and company going to be able to compete on a recruiting level? Because there's nothing wrong. That's name, image, and likeness. It's off campus. It's not paid for by the school. All the little check marks, all the boxes have been checked. And yet, you know, some schools are going to be able to have players that are going to be able to monetize their name, image, and likeness just by breathing and wearing the school colors, which a school like Colorado, you're not going to have that type of opportunity. Well, again, those are issues that we're discussing. And because there are some nuances out there, and there are, and one of the things that's important is we want to, to protect the integrity of recruiting. Uh, that's going to be important for us as we move forward. So you just mentioned one area. There's probably 20 more that we've discussed like that, that, you know, how do we put the right uh, framework around um, name, image, and likeness so it is fair as, as best it can be? Okay. I just, yeah, I'm just concerned, you know, I mean, there, I like to, you know, talk about there's the, you know, the have and the have nots. I mean, cer certainly if we're talking about CU compared to CSU and the money that's coming in, there's a big gap there, but there's also a gap between CU and other power five schools that no question is, you know, just widening. Well, let me just let you gush about Mel Tucker for a minute. Sure. You've been you know, at the University of Colorado, when CU was ranked number one in the country, you've been in Boulder when CU has been one of the lower ranked Power Five teams. Nationally, we're going to hear a lot about how CU just posted its third straight five and seven season. But the feeling I'm getting or the, the vibe seems to be about the University of Colorado football program under Mel Tucker, that there's a lot of optimism this offseason about going forward with this coaching staff. What, based upon, I mean, your experience of seeing the highs and the lows in Boulder, what's what's the special sauce that Mel Tucker brings to the table about uh, giving optimism for the future of the program? Well, look, I mean, I, I think a couple things. The the way he goes after recruiting. I mean, when when I was back here in the 80s as the recruiting coordinator, we were relentless just like he is today. And we recruited every day. We went after the very best players in the country. And, and I think that's something that Mel did as soon as he got here. We're going to go after the very best student athletes in the country uh, to recruit to Colorado. And he comes with the same mindset that I do that why not Colorado? Colorado's as good a school as any in the country. We've got as strong a tradition as any in the country. 
Um, you know, our recent tradition in history isn't great, but we have a, a, a long-standing tradition of being a nationally ranked football program. And I just saw something come out today that we've got the third most Super Bowl appearances in our conference. That's yeah. significant. And so we have that. And so I think having that mentality and, you know, that's one, the recruiting mentality that he has and two, recruiting the very best. But the third thing is he's created a, a discipline and an accountability in his program that we need. You know, we should be, you know, if, if you go back to, again, the years that we were very successful, we had a, a discipline and accountability uh, on our football team that was important. And and he's made that a, a priority for him to to change the mindset uh, and to change that culture. And, 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 you know, he lives it every day. And, and I think he's been an incredible addition to our, uh, our, our program and our history. And if he stays here for a long period of time, you know, I, I have confidence that he'll be one of the best coaches in our history. Talking about dollars and keeping people, just, I guess, a real quick question about the budget. You, uh, you know, many most of the years that you've been athletic director, there's been a balanced budget, which in itself is an achievement. This past year, there was a $3 million deficit, and there's also about a $3 million payment to Mike McIntyre. Is it overly simplistic to draw a straight line between those two, or is there, there more going on there? No, I mean, I, I, yeah, well, I mean, there's a parallel, right? So yes. we, we had a settlement. Everybody knows what that is. There were two payments. And one payment was in the past fiscal year and one's in this year. And so last year we, we paid that, but it, uh, it showed a deficit. And so, and we had to technically show the deficit uh, because of the accounting principles. So we had to account that whole payment in the last fiscal year. When you look at our budget this year, you will see a surplus of about the same amount. And so, We'll have that money and that cash to pay that, which we've already done. And and then beyond that, there's no other payment. So, you know, the success that we've had financially, we kept a flat budget uh, this year in our department uh, rather than increasing it. And, you know, we, we showed a surface and we will have a surplus at the end of this year that will accommodate that payment that we had to make in this fiscal year that was counted in last year's tax year. I hope that makes sense. No, it, it, it makes sense. And I mean, I know you've talked about, you know, I had a very good, strong schedule last fall yep. that uh, almost averaged 50,000 in the in the stands for yep. home game. So we're about three th quarters of the way through this fiscal year. So you're feeling pretty comfortable that the goals that you set coming into this fiscal year knowing that you you know you need to have warm seats or warm bot warm butts in the in yep. the seats sounds like mission accomplished yeah i mean well i don't know that it's mission mission accomplished yet because there's some other financial things that that will be forthcoming but yeah we did what we said we would do during the football season we had the success that we wanted if you look at this year's budget versus last year from a revenue there, there's an uptick and we knew that uh, you know with the nebraska game and you know, we knew there was some excitement around Coach Tucker, and 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 so yeah, we we've I, I believe that we'll deliver on that, and at the end of this fiscal year, June 30th, we'll have a balanced budget going into our 2021 uh, season. Uh, a lot of that, you know, has to do with the the schedule, and obviously, you know, Nebraska, Air Force, USC. There's lots of attractive games, and CU 
has been very aggressive as far as Power 5 non-conference scheduling. I don't know if you know this, but I mean, I went through and this is from FB Schedules. And granted, there's a lot of non-conference scheduling to be done for the rest of the decade. But right now, CU has 18 Power 5 non-conference games scheduled for this upcoming decade. No other school in the Pac-12 has more than 12. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm comfortable with that. Um, Look, when we won a national championship, when we were undefeated in 89 and 90, those are the kind of schedules we had. If you look back, we played Washington, we played Texas, we played Illinois, we played Tennessee. Uh, I'm a believer that, you know, um, we should have that kind of schedule. And, and, and look, you know, things change, you know, when you, when you, book those games it's usually well in advance of when that game's being played we don't know what those teams will look like when we play them but what we do know is that we're going to be better in uh in our football program and playing those kind of games i think our fans want to see that i think it will give us a national landscape to promote our university and our department and there's a lot to scheduling and and um, again I I like where we've scheduled we're going back to Texas a few times which is important for where we recruit we're going back to Atlanta again a strong market we're recruiting in the southeast you know so all those things kind of fit our philosophy and um and so I'm excited about those games and I think our fans will be excited as well and and we'll We'll continue to look at playing quality teams moving forward. Yeah, well, it was well. I think it was Bill McCartney's. You got to if you want to be the best, you got to play the best. And yep, the, the yep. 90, I agree with that. Yeah, that it was the 1990 team had the toughest schedule in the country that year with the non-conference yep. with you know Tennessee, like you say, Illinois and Washington and Texas. Not going to see anybody scheduling like that anymore. But uh, yeah, it's certainly um, impressive, and I have been to, you know, the Dixie Chicken and College Station and went to Atlanta in, you know, 2006. Yeah, it does provide some interesting opportunities for, for the fan base to, uh, you know, get out and see the, the rest of college football world. That's right. Just in terms of some other dollar questions, just bigger picture, yep. Pac-12 versus the rest of the planet. You know, I'm sure you read John Wilner's stuff, and he talks a lot about the gap between the Pac-12 and other conferences. Yep. Now, you went to school, you know, at Illinois, and we spent a number of years at Vanderbilt, and, you know, those are Power 5 schools that are like Colorado in a certain place in the pecking order in their respective divisions uh, or their respective conferences. But, you know, we're talking to the point where the, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC you know, we're going to have schools that are going to be making 20 to $30 million more per school per year from television rights. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of eggs in the basket for 2024 and going forward with the Pac-12, but uh, is it alarming? Is it uh, disconcerting? Or do you think it'll all find its way out in the wash as far as the Pac-12 and maintaining its status in the in the country? Look, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I do have concerns about the, the gap that's being created by the other Power Five conferences uh, between us and them. You know, what we've got to focus on is what we can do on the local level to 
you know, provide the resources that we need. Uh, would I like uh, 13 million more dollars? Absolutely. There's a lot I could do with it. But, you know, um, that's not reality at this point. And so, you know, we'll continue to work with the conference on ways to grow our revenue and increase that. But, yeah, it's concerning that there's this kind of gap. And I guess, you know, on a related, you know, issue just in terms of holding on to to talent, I mean, I won't ask you to comment on specific coaches, but there were stories about, you know, one of the assistant coaches getting offers from SEC schools and staying in Boulder. If we get to the point where, I mean, we had a defensive coordinator who got, you know, his paycheck doubled by going to Oregon and, you know, you have Mike Leach going to the SEC and, you know, increasing his pay by 30%. And are we going to, as a conference and the University of Colorado as a school, going to be able to hang on to quality assistant coaches and quality head coaches if they can double or triple their salaries um, going elsewhere? Look, I mean, not everything's about money, right? And yes. uh, But a lot of things are. And, and all we can do is create the right culture here, the right environment that people are going to want to work in. I mean, this is an incredible place to live. There's a lot of benefits to being in Boulder, Colorado. We are in a Power Five conference. And, you know, are we going to be able to pay the top dollar? Probably not. But we're going to do what we can with the resources we have to compete at the highest level, and I think we can do that at Colorado. Just in, in general, it seems, uh, you know, the athletic department, you know, across the board, if you, you know, the basketball teams, I'm certainly have a soft spot for the ski team that uh, yep. competes for national championships every year. It'll be up here in Bozeman, Montana for the NCAA championships in March. What is it, what have you been able to do to make CU competitive across the board in athletics that uh, rise the, the level of competition, rise the level of success, just good people, getting good people hired? Yeah, I think it's all that. I mean, again, it's about the culture and it's about working in an environment that people want to come to work in. And and, and one of the things that we've done, and, and, and you know this, Stuart, because you know what we've been doing here. I mean, look, we didn't have a nutrition program four years ago. Now I would put ours up against anyone in the country. Uh, we didn't have a mental health program three, four years ago that was anything of significance. Now we've got four full-time staff members that are current, you know, that are meeting with student athletes. We have a sports dietitian that, and we've got four now in our athletic department. You know, what we're doing in academics, we've never been better in our history. We've had 11 consecutive semesters over a 2.9. We've only had 12 since 1994. You know, we we did the full cost of attendance. We built this new facility. All of those things give advantages to our coaches as they're out there recruiting student athletes. And, and, and again, all we can do is make what we have better and give the uh, coaches the tools that they need to be able to go in the best homes in the country and inside the best student athletes they can. And uh, I'm very confident in the whole group of coaches that we have from top to bottom and you know, we just got to keep providing them the resources that we have and that we need uh, to be able to be successful. Very good. Well, I'm going to let that be the last word. I know you've got a lot on your plate because you're flying all over the country all the times and lots of NCAA committees to, uh, to tend to, not to mention everything going on at the Champion Center. So very much appreciate the time. You got it, Stuart. Look, have a, a great day and have a great week. And, um, We'll talk again soon.
Very good. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you for listening to my interview with Rick George. I would like to thank Associate Athletic Director and Media Relations Director Dave Platty and Rick's assistant, Heather Crackraft, for making this interview possible. Again, please check out the See You at the Game website for a companion banner with stories and articles related to this interview, as well as to post any comments you might have about this interview or suggestions you may have for future podcasts. We're just getting started on getting up and running on the podcast distribution sites, so look for See You at the Game at places like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and the like. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you'll be alerted to future See You at the Game podcasts. Now, for those of you that have hung around this long, here's my story on how Rick George and I met for the first time. Let's head back in the Dr. Peabody Wayback Machine to August of 2013. Rick George was just taking over as CU's athletic director. As a refresher, the athletic department as a whole and the football program in particular was a mess. The Buffs were coming off the only 11 lost season in school history with scores like 69 to 14. And that was Fresno State. 50 to 6, 70 to 14, 48 to nothing. You get the idea. The two-year John Embry experiment had been preceded by five years under Dan Hawkins, and the Buff Nation was restless at best, discouraged at worst. And so, as a Buff fan, I wrote a letter to the incoming athletic director, Rick George. In the letter, I described my frustrations and outlined what I thought were some realistic goals which needed to be addressed. I posted my open letter on the See You at the Game website, and I'll post a, a link to that on the companion piece. And in the letter, um, you know, I talked about all these things that I thought needed to be done, and I actually sent the letter to Rick George. I thought it was only fair if I was writing an open letter to the CF Lake director that the athletic director actually received the letter in person. I didn't really expect any sort of a response, and if I did, it would come along the lines of some form letter, you know, thank you for your interest, appreciate your support, go buffs, you know, that kind of thing. So I was greatly taken aback when on a Thursday night in that August of 2013, on Rick George's fourth day on the job, I received a phone call. The caller addressed himself as Rick George. But my initial thought was that it was my friend Brad or some other Buff fan just calling to prank me a little bit. But it really was Rick George. He thanked me for my letter, and we talked a few minutes about its contents. I was left very impressed that Rick, with plenty of tasks on his plate, um, took the time to call me and talk to me just as a, a mere fan concerned about Buff football and Buff athletics. Now... Fast forward two and a half years. The Champion Center, a pipe dream for decades, is about to open. Of course, thanks largely to Rick George. I'm in town, and we're talking about February 2016 here, for a basketball weekend. I was wrapping up my annual interview with Associate Athletic Director Lance Carl, which we've always done at the, the Village Coffee Shop, and Lance asked me if I would like a tour of the brand new Champion Center. Well, not being an idiot, I say yes. Lance tells me he has a 9 o'clock meeting, but then I can come up with him to his office, and after the meeting, we can go for a tour. After Lance comes back, he asks me, would you like to meet Rick George? <laughs> Apparently, Lance really thought I was some sort of an idiot, but, you know, I said, of course, yes, I'd love to meet Rick George. 
We head into Rick's office, and Lance introduces me as Stuart Whitehair, and without any prompting or other information, Rick says, you're the guy who wrote the letter. Now, think about that for a second. This was some two and a half years after we talked on the phone. In the interim, Rick had been introduced to thousands, literally thousands of other Buff fans. He'd raised tens of millions of dollars in the process to build the Champion Center. For him to remember me, I mean, remember me at all, even with uh, any sort of background, would have been amazing. But to do so without any introductions or any other context, the fact that he remembered me was just amazing. And if you think about it, probably one of the reasons why he was so successful and able to raise all the millions of dollars he did to build the Champion Center. So, in case you're wondering, I'm a very big fan of Rick George. We may lose him down the road if Larry Scott is ousted as the Pac-12 commissioner or some other more prestigious post comes along. But for now, I'm very glad that Rick is taking care of the student-athletes at the University of Colorado. Again, thanks for tuning into this podcast. We'll talk again soon. Go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.